Kelly Quinlan, the publisher of JacketsOnline.com, is our special guest, and we're doing a Georgia Tech football preview. This is ACC Nation. I'm Jim Quist. That's Will Ogenen. And welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Great to be here. We're going to talk football, and there's a lot to talk about. One of the things that I've taken away from some off-season chatter and just my own observation, I think, is that Jeff Collins really isn't going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Now, let me throw this by you. Contract, finances, time to build, reasonable time to build. And if he sees some improvement in wins this season, maybe that's a good reason for Jeff Collins to stick around. Your thoughts on what's going on at Georgia Tech? I mean, I think everyone that's around the program wants to see Jeff succeed. You know, he's a likable guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's got the right sort of building blocks in place. They haven't won. He made some probably poor hires out of the gate in terms of just his staff, not really maybe being ready for this level of football and they've adjusted. They hired Chip Long as a new offensive coordinator. Uh, he upgraded his defensive staff with David Turner and Travaris Tillman who, you know, David Turner's worked all over the SEC uh, as a defensive line coach and, and Tillman was at Michigan state comes home to Georgia tech. I, I they've made some upgrades. Um, Chris Winkie's coming as a quarterback's coach. Uh, you know, a guy won the Heisman trophy. You know, it's hard to beat that. Dell Alexander was able to join the staff when Kerry Dixon left to go to the NFL as the receivers coach. He worked with Chip Long at Notre Dame and at Arizona state. So they have a pretty long bond there. I, I feel like the chemistry is a lot better amongst the staff. I think the talent level is better than it's been in a while for them. And they should start winning. The schedule is just hard right now. And, and that's, you know, going to be the, the tough part about it. And they've got to figure out how to navigate, especially the first half of the season when you play, you know, Clemson week one, then you have a gimme with Western Carolina, and then you play, you know, Ole Miss and Central Florida and Pitt all in a row. Um, I may have those, the Central Florida Ole Miss out of order, but, the central Florida games on the road out of that and the pick games on the road. So it's going to be a tough haul. It's a tall task, but you know, if he can get to, I would say they need to go bowling. They really need to, uh, to me to, to show it. But I think if they were five and seven with, you know, some more close losses and no, no 50 to nothing games, then I think it's, you know, it's an easier sell for Todd Stansberry and ultimately Todd and, and Jeff, I think are kind of tied to each other too. Interesting. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get into that a little more in detail and, and along with uh, that schedule, because it is a killer schedule for them in, in trying to get back to w where they want to be or get back to where, or to get to where they want to be is probably a better way since we have Jeff Collins as the coach. Uh, well, it's got some questions we're going to find out a little more about the offense, the defense. Will, it's all yours. All right. So we talked. You talked about the uh, the new the new members of the offensive staff with Chip Long as offensive coordinator and Chris Winkie, a, a name of ACC days of yore as his quarterback coach. So how are they going to be able to uh, make Jeff Sims a more consistent quarterback? So really, the biggest difference between this offense and what they were doing before is, you know, Dave Padno, the former offensive coordinator, they had a lot of longer drops, a lot of longer developing plays. The offensive line was just not built for that. They don't have the the horses to to have these long, deep drops and, and 
really elaborate, you know, making four reads and stuff. Chip's stuff is get the ball out fast, get it into space, let the playmakers make plays. And then, yes, we will do play action, take a deep shot down the field. But it's going to be predicated on running the ball, both the running backs and Jeff running some, and then getting the ball out, using screens, using the tight ends a lot more. That was They made this huge deal about tight ends, and then you know the, they were averaging, I think, 25 targets a year or something, which is terrible. And if you're going to play with that personnel, they played with a lot of two tight sets, you know, probably 30% of the time. And we're not using them in the passing game. And so that's been a big transition. They brought in um, some different tight ends and then they brought in some kind of different kind of body types as well to, to, to make things happen on the outside at receiver. Uh, they get Leo Blackburn back as a freshman. They were really high on that tore his ACL in the first open practice last fall. Uh, he's just a freak of an athlete. They added EJ Jenkins, a kid from South Carolina as a transfer who's a really dynamic, um, big body guy like Leo. Just I, I saw him the other day. He's just ridiculous looking. Looks like he plays in the NBA, just built like a, a like a small forward in the NBA. So that's going to give them some some help. And then Jeff, you know, has got to hit that next level, right? He's a junior now, uh, you know, at least academically. It's time to, to show it, man. You've got however many starts under his belt now, you know, two years worth of starts. Like it's time to start showing that talent. I think a lot of people were surprised when uh, Tyson Fomachon, former Georgia Tech or uh, Clemson quarterback, committed about a month ago. Is this mostly just insurance in case Sims goes down? Yeah, I think it's that. I think he wanted, you know, he wanted a fresh start as well somewhere. I think, you know, if Jeff has a good season, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen there, right? Like, he's definitely a guy that, um, if he has the ability to go pro, would absolutely do it. I think, in my opinion. And it gives them a little more insurance. They really didn't have um, a lot of options at the backup quarterback position behind Jeff. You know, Jordan Yates went to Sam Houston State as a transfer. They're getting ready to move up to FBS. And they had Zach Gibson, a kid they added from Akron, who was okay, you know, off the bench, but is not. And they had a whole spring to work with him. He just, I don't know if he's a fit or not, but, you know, he's a guy who could come in off the bench and win a game maybe. And then they have Zach Pyron as a true freshman and that's a couple of walk-ons and that was it behind Jeff. So you needed someone um, you could trust the offense to a little bit, but someone who's not maybe a full threat to Jeff Sims within the days of the portal, you kind of got kind of weigh those things. So I think it made a lot of sense. I got the backfield. It, it's got a few names. Dante Smith is returning. He was the, one of the leading returner returners out of the backfield. You picked up a son hall from Louisville, a transfer portal, uh, Antonio Martin was a, a kid who enrolled early. So there's, there's names there, but how do you expect the the backfield role to be, be sorted out? So Dante, I think's you know, number one, I think he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's got the same, similar skill set to Jameer Gibbs, maybe not as dynamic catching the ball out of the backfield, but great in space, really tough runner. Hassan Hall gives you sort of some of that slash thing that Gibbs gave you in the receiving game. Uh, can do a lot of things in space, can run okay, you know, between the tackles. The guy that's really interesting, you didn't mention they added is uh, Dylan McDuffie from Buffalo. He is a bigger back. He gives them that more physical presence. Um, I, I saw him the other day for the first time in person, and he, he'll be a guy who can take over some of what Jordan Mason did for them in the past in terms of running between the tackles or Jemias Griffin, that kind of power back piece. And I think it's going to be, a little bit by committee, but it's Dante is sort of the the one, and then I think it's 
2A, 2B with Hassan Hall and, and, and McDuffie right now. So, Kelly, I want to uh, look at the uh, transfer portal, the negative and positives uh, on that in just a moment. But first, I got a question for you. You had just mentioned a moment ago about the offense being quicker, about uh, you know getting the ball out a lot faster. And a lot of that is predicated on that offensive line really coming together. And what I understand, there are four new starters on that offensive line are they going to be able to give Sims enough time to, to have a solid pocket to, to make some pass plays here? So it is true that they have new starters, but some of the guys have played a lot. Um, you know, Jordan Williams has been sort of the anchor at right tackle. He's, he's in much better shape than he's ever been since he's been at Georgia Tech. He's dropped a lot of weights a lot quicker. Weston Franklin was a the guy they really wanted to be the center eventually. He's taken over there. He played a lot down the stretch in the season last year for them. You know, they've got to figure out the two guard spots. Pierce Quick, I think, will be the right guard. He had a pretty good spring, got a full spring working with them. You know, came over from Alabama. And then Paul Teo, they got from, from Clemson. Him and Paula Viapolo are kind of battling it out for that left guard spot. Paul got hurt. Uh, Teo got hurt in spring and missed some time, so that hurt him a little bit. Paula played a lot last year. He started games for them. He was not great. He'd be the first to tell you that, but he played. The real question is going to come down to the left tackle spot. They have Ja'Kiah Leftwich, who uh, did not play last year, was a redshirt as a freshman. He's there. Corey Robinson, a kid they picked up from uh, Kansas via the portal. Those are sort of the two guys I envision at that left tackle spot right now. If they can get decent protection there and kind of chip and cheat with the tight end a little bit, I think that they'll be okay on the offensive line. They, they have more depth now, I think, than they've had in a little bit too. Now you know why I wanted to come back to the uh, transfer portal here for just a second because it has – had a big impact on Georgia Tech. All these players that suddenly departed, um, that can be looked at as a negative and as, as a positive in some cases. Um, but all the players that they've brought in seem to be a step up or at least equal to, to what they had before. So there's some positive movement here with Georgia Tech uh, I think overall offensively, tell me, am I right or wrong in that perception? Oh, I think offensively they've, they've improved everywhere except for running back. I mean, you lose Jameer Gibbs, who's a generational talent to Alabama. Yeah. And it's hard to blame him, right? He get he gets to go to Alabama, he gets some nice NIL money it comes from a family. That they really had nothing. Like, I mean, he lived with high school teammates, um, you know, in high school just to, to kind of get by. So it's hard to blame him. He didn't really want to leave, but the situation just was, yeah. you know, too much for him. Um, but, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you have sort of a two, two man thing, replacing him with Hassan Hall and Dylan McDuffie, along with Dante Smith, who was maybe the most, you know, he was probably the second most effective running back in the ACC last year. If you look at per play and he was getting like a lot of love from people like PFF and some of the people who actually break down film and stuff to, Okay, what he can do, you know, in the receiving situation, they added AJ Jenkins from South Carolina is going to be an interesting guy. They added a, a tight end that I really like, um, Luke Benson from Syracuse, who can stretch the field down the middle. They haven't had that, you know, that seam threat um, at tight end that can stretch the field vertically there. He gives you that. They moved PJ Harris, who was an outside receiver to tight end. Those two guys give you that kind of flex Y guy that can, can line up in different places versus maybe the trad traditional tight end. And yeah, they've added two guards in the portal and a, an offensive tackle and you know, a couple of freshmen they really like as well. 
and then um, you know one center as well as kind of a backup interior lineman. So they've added some nice pieces there. You know they lost more on defense to the portal that was you know maybe more effective. I think offensively, you know really other than Gibbs, there's not anyone where I'm like, oh, that was a big loss uh, in terms of you know production or, or where they fit in. The defensive side of the ball, and especially the pass defense, was. Well, it was downright bad last year. It was one of the worst in the country. And the, the secondary is being uh, remade a little bit this year. They've, they've, they've gone and got a couple of guys out of the portal to uh, help address those needs. But at the same time, one of the issues that, that stood out to me with Georgia Tech is they just didn't have that guy you could could count on to get a sack with you. They just had a, guy, a bunch of guys who uh, could get you a good a couple sacks. I think the leading guy in sacks had like three and a half last season. Um how does how do they plan to address the issues with the with the pass defense this season? So last year the guy who was supposed to be their leading sack guy was Keon White, the transfer from Old Dominion. And he came back at the end of the season. He broke his leg playing basketball uh in the in during the summer, broke like part of his leg or his ankle or something. And even when he came back he was not right. But you could tell he was just a freak physically. In the Miami game down in Miami, he threw one of their offensive tackles at Tyler Van Dyke in a game. And they threw they threw a penalty, which was kind of a weird play. He like just picked the guy up physically and threw him at the quarterback. And they they flagged him for something. I forget what it was. It yeah. was kind of a weird, but it just showed sort of the strength. He's a he's a freaky NFL looking guy. He's the best looking defensive end they've had. Uh, physically since, you know, Derek Morgan, and that was 2009. Um, so he's going to get production. I, if he's healthy, he's a guy, I think seven, eight, nine plus sack guy um, is going to draw attention. You know, the rush end position, you know, that was where their leading sack guy was Jordan Dominic. He goes to Arkansas. He was a guy who just made some plays. Um, didn't impress you physically in person. Great kid. Love the kid. Uh, just had kind of a nose for the football and he made some plays, but they've never gotten production like they should out of that rush end position. And now they have Kyle Kennard who played a lot last year. Noah Collins who played a lot as a true freshman. I think those two guys are sort of the, the top end of that. They added a kid named Solomon bird from Wyoming who ended up flipping his commitment to USC. Uh, he's from the West coast and USC came in late and um, he has a, he, in Solomon's situation, he had a kid and his girlfriend or wife was pregnant again, and he had the opportunity to get some NIL money from USC, and you know, it's hard to fault that um, and be closer to home. So he, he kind of flipped on them at the last minute, so that sort of sucked for them. But, you know, I, I think they have some better pieces. I think the secondary will be better, even though they've had a lot of changes. And I, I think the coaching's just been better. I've watched them throughout the spring. You know, we got to watch, I think, 10 of the 15 practices they had this spring uh, and the majority of those practices. And it was nine day. Like they were just looked a lot more confident and were playing a lot better. So I'm hoping that carries over for the season for them. And you see a more competent defense because a lot of their problems last year were just simple jailbreak situations with bad communication or guys not running the same play or whatever. It was just not on the same page. Those things are things you should be able to easily overcome and they have enough talent there that's where the one spot on the team where they inherited talent and they have remained talented is in the secondary and it shouldn't look as bad as it does 
I'll let Jim handle the, the schedule aspect in a moment, but let me ask you about the, the recruiting because I noticed uh, up until Sunday, Georgia Tech had yet to have a 2023 come in now in the past, what, 24 hours, picked up a couple of commits. So is this a kind of a situation where people are just kind of hesitating to commit? Is there what's What's been going on with the recruiting there for, for this class of 23 that uh, they have kind of struggled so far? So the reality of this is a little different and people don't maybe get this. They had three commitments until um, the middle of January. They had eight coaching staff changes uh, with assistant coaches. Uh, I think that's right. Seven or eight new assistant coaches. And because of that guys decommitted. Right. And, and also some of them changed, right? Mike Daniels took over running back. He, he wanted a different running back than the guy that was committed here to play running back at Georgia tech. Uh, you know, one of the guys who's committed, Zachariah Keith, is actually taking an official visit next week um, and is probably likely to recommit to Georgia Tech. Uh, so I think that was just a situation that the guy who was the main recruiter for him went to Michigan State, uh, Marco Coleman. So then he wanted to build a new relationship with the new guys that were recruiting him for the first time. There's a lot of that going on. So that sort of masked it. The other thing is Jeff and his staff have kind of moved to this hybrid mode where they're going to sign – 12 15 high school kids and then take transfers with their remaining spots and a lot of schools are starting to do this now that are not maybe the alabama clemsons of the world where they're going to go and you know they're not going to sign 20 high school kids anymore they're going to sign 12 15 16 maybe in a high year and and the numbers are still sort of messed up because of covid too you have all those covid years so right they're taking a smaller class. So, you know, I think by the end of this week, they might be at four or five commits, which would be more noble. Are they, you know, they didn't have a weekend like Cincinnati did where they got eight commits or whatever, but um, you know, everybody's doing this differently. And I think, you know, Jeff's what Jeff's doing is a philosophy that I sort of agree with that if you're in Atlanta, you can get kids that maybe went somewhere. It didn't work out for them and they want to come back home um, or just want to go to the ATL or they're, you know, fairly close to home and they went somewhere else. And I think you can get some really talented kids on the rebound. And in those situations too, the, the, to be blunt, you don't have to worry about NIL or transfers because once they burn that they're, they're there until they graduate. So it gives you a little bit more protection with some of the red shirt freshman kids they took. Let me uh, talk a little bit about NIL and, and Georgia tech. Um, has this been a challenge for Georgia Tech um, from the standpoint of, of the supporters, the, the, the corporate folks who are out there who support Georgia Tech coming forward and, and providing the type of, of revenue for the players that we're finding at some other schools? So it's been interesting because – Georgia Tech fans are pragmatic, if anything. And, um, you know, they're very careful with how they approach things just as a, as a program and a school and it's in the school president, the way they want the athletics run. They were more cautious than some other places with how they wanted to start NIL, what they wanted to do. You know, I think um, there's some concern, not just Georgia Tech, other places they're worried about losing donations just in general to the, to the, the whole AA, uh, you know, is it this amount, is it this pot of money we have and 
if we start splitting it up, what is the impact on the, the athletic association? So I think there's a lot of different things in play. They have slowly started to ramp it up. You know, right now they have, you know, Jeff Sims has a pretty extensive NIL deal. There's several other players that have some pretty good deals. The offensive line has an entire deal uh, with, with a, with a business. And there's been a lot of sort of spot deals like Jordan Mason last season had one with Arby's. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've started to figure out a leverage, but I think it's still in the early stages. This is not Alabama where people were, you know, would love to give, you know, a million bucks and you get to have lunch with Nick Saban or whatever. Like you don't have those kind of draws, you know, um, and we've seen Nick Saban talking about this lately. It's been like the big hot topic, right? And what he was doing there, in my opinion, and from talking to people who work there, is he was giving a message to his base: "Hey, we need money in the NIL to compete with AM and Auburn and whoever else is spending money." And you know, Georgia Tech's never going to be at that level, in my opinion. But I think you know, to me, and from talking to the people who who are the boosters who are involved in all of this it's been being used more as a retention tool and um a way to to incentivize people to stay uh you know are they going to be able to get in a bidding war to keep a jameer gibbs in the future yeah i, I don't know because it depends on what you believe and what he might be getting at alabama so right. and you know some of the numbers are crazy if you hear some of the things that you know ryan day or some of these coaches have told people it's it's pretty amazing and eye-opening uh, what what some of these big schools are spending and it seems like it's sort of like major league baseball right you have some teams that are the yankees and the mets and the red sox and most of the teams are the pirates and the brewers and the whatever that are the twins that are like you know yeah we have this little pot of money and this is what we're going to spend and we're not going to spend more than this and yep. you know maybe we'll do something if we think we have a chance to have a special team but you know this is not we're not going to be signing dudes to 10-year, $400 million contracts. That's why everyone should watch the movie Moneyball about the Oakland A's. Excellent. Great movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, spot on. Um, interesting. Quick question. Has uh, Because I can't keep up with every school in, in the ACC. Um, has Waffle House come forward and done anything with NIL with Georgia Tech? So it's interesting. They're they don't do commercials. They don't do any shame on them. Sort of sort of advertisements <laughs> or yeah, it, it's sort of fascinating. They have a deal with Jeff um, Collins. You know, he always has his Waffle House cup, and sure. I think he gets to use like the company jet or something. Um, and you know, some of their executives are obviously very tied to Georgia Tech and and all that. But no, like there, to my knowledge, there's no like Waffle House. I haven't seen like any of the players like you know. Um, you know, doing their scattered, smothered, and covered, uh, you know, tweets or Instagrams or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's one that stands out to you. Coke literally is down the street. You could throw a rock and hit that's right. the Coca Cola building from the stadium. Um, you know, there's all these businesses here. But, you know, I think the guy in Miami is a real good example right now of <laughs> you have to, ha it has to make some sense for the company, right? Like the, the, the what is it, Life Wallet or whatever that guy is? Uh, Ruiz yeah. is yep. in a lot of trouble down there now and they went public and they have a lot of issues and people are looking at the money he was spending on Miami players and are like, what are you doing? Right. So, you know, most businesses are just not going to do that. If you're, you know, Jimbo's Ford and you're in, you know, Starkville or, 
or Fayetteville or whatever. Yeah, you might drop, you know, a couple hundred grand or give a kid a car or something. But it's just harder to envision a lot of these people that run, you know, really tight businesses wanting to just throw money at, at kids for the sake of throwing money. I think if they're going to do it, it was going to be, it would be for basketball. Gotcha. Let's talk about this schedule. Cause I tell you what, um, I, I've looked at the last couple of seasons and I'm just gone, man, yellow jackets are just absolutely getting pounded here on the schedule front. And it, it almost seems unfair, but I mean, it's the luck of the draw, right? It's the way it works. And sometimes it doesn't always come down on your side. But in this particular case, I, th- I can see the progression. You've talked about the progression, Kelly, about how you feel as if the, you know, with the new coaches, there's a different attitude, there's more talent. But then the ACC throws this schedule at them. And it's like, holy smokes, man. Um, start out with Clemson. And, and then just, you know, it's it's almost a, a face smack every week or every other week. Um, talk to us a little bit about where you see, because I know there's been some projections of, I think ESPN said like the, the over-under was like four and a half games or something like that. And I'm, and I'm going, okay, where are those games? Where are they? Tell us. So the, uh, the winnable games to me, like, yeah, the Clemson game, who knows what to expect, right? They have two new coordinators. Georgia Tech has a new OC. Georgia Tech should have beat them last year in Clemson. Um, you know, how, you know, Clemson's not a team that's traditionally started fast. They have a lot of questions about their team. They did not take transfers. They have O-line issues, but they still have a really stout defense, but a different defensive coordinator. So what does all of that look like, right? Yeah. That's that's a huge question. Um you know, Western, Western Carolina is a dub. Like, if they don't win that, Jeff doesn't probably walk out of that stadium with his job. Like, and that's his alma mater, too. So, like, he better win that game, um, especially after the Citadel game a few years ago. Ole Miss is going to be a tough game. That's that's a really tough draw. You know, the next two, the next three games to me are all winnable. Central Florida, I'm not as high on. I'm not a big Gus Malzahn guy. Like, I've never been particularly impressed with his coaching. And, get, and I literally watched him coach games so poorly that they lost. I think they played Louisville last year. And I think, was it the Louisville game? I was watching and I literally watched him coach his team to a loss at the end of a game, like just with bad strategy and not understand clock. It just, I, I, I think that's a game that could be winnable. They go to Pitt. Pitt is a totally different team without Jordan Addison. They have that offensive line. I'm not a big Slovis guy either. Mm. Uh, you know, new OC. Toss up Duke should beat Duke. Duke's going to be probably terrible this year. Uh, you know, then they got a bye week and they play Virginia in Atlanta. Um, you know, Virginia is a team that's through a lot of transition. Brennan, you know, they got the quarterback and Brennan Armstrong. And what else do they have right now? Like they have a good receiver and I, you know, I don't know. They were a smoke and mirrors team to me last year. Um, I think a lot of that was just Bronco coaching and that offense being really good. And they were terrible defensively. Florida State, you walk into after that, you know, at Florida State, they beat them there in uh, 2019 to, to start the season. Um, you know, was that 2019? No, I'm sorry, 2020 to start the season. Jeff Sims' first game. Um, you know, Mike Norvell's coaching for his job, too. He's in the same boat as as Jeff Collins and, and probably Satterfield. Um where, you know, 
who knows what's going on at that point in the season with them, right? They have Florida State actually will be interesting because they have sort of a tough opening slate too as well. They play LSU week two. They have to go to Louisville. They play Boston College, Wake at NC State, Clemson all before Georgia Tech. So there's no telling what's going on with with you know the Seminoles at that point. Um, so to me, that's sort of a toss up. Virginia Tech, I think, is a team in a hard reset right now. Um, you know, to me, that's a game they should win up there. Miami, they're always talented and they always underachieve and have for 20 something years. Like, you know, at North Carolina, you know, what is North Carolina this year? They, they beat them last year with North Carolina, probably had them outgunned at every position. They beat them quite soundly in Atlanta. So, yeah, last game, George, George is going to whip them probably, but like, to me, you look at it and, you know, if you, everything goes right, seven wins, you know, if everything goes wrong, four wins, like that's sort of how I look at it. Um, and if it's four wins, I think we're talking about a coaching search and a lot of other stuff. I really like the optimism. Will. There's a couple final ones for me, <laughs> Sure, but um, just to kind of, uh, obviously you run a, you run a site and you get to see this, uh, get to see the the interaction you know on a frequent basis is there would you say at this point there's more negative reaction or positive than positive reaction to the way things have gone or are there still people still thinking there's still there still needs to be some patience given the hard transition plus a covid year so i'd say it's about 30 percent in that last boat um i'd say you know 40 percent of them want to see something this year and I'd say the rest are want him gone. And that's where, and, and what's funny in all of my time covering college football, going back to, uh, you know, my first year really covering was 2001. Um, you know, I, I've watched Georgia tech from, from afar and up close and they've, they wanted O'Leary gone towards the end before he jumped to Notre Dame. You know, they ran Chan Gailey off after, you know, a bunch of just sort of average seasons and kind of underachieving. They were turning on Paul Johnson at the end it's just the nature of the fan base. They want a consistent winner. Um, and it's sort of the nature of fans in general. I won't necessarily just put it all on Georgia tech, but you know, it's time to win, right? Like last year was the time to win. They lost like five games that they should have won. Um, there were close games. They won one close game. If you split that over the whole season, they go bowling, right? If they had won three instead of, you know, one close game, then, you know, we're talking about a, a probably a bowl eligible team, you know, if Mikey Manahan doesn't get hurt in the Miami game and their offense, you know, the starting center gets hurt, Mikey Manahan and the offense turns to stone or Jordan Yates throwing a pick against Boston college or, you know, any number of plays that happened the, you know, the end of the Clemson game, the end of the Virginia game, there were a lot of different opportunities where they could have pulled something out and, and just didn't. So they're getting closer it's just been sort of a snail's pace rather than, you know, sort of a normal marathon pace. You can hear us on our podcast. Be sure to subscribe. You can listen at ACC Nation Radio 24-7 anywhere you go. And we're also on YouTube. And be sure to visit our website, accnation.net. Thank you so much to Kelly Quinlan, who's the publisher of JacketsOnline.com. Make sure that you follow Kelly on Twitter and subscribe to jacketsonline.com because they've got a great 
assortment of coverage of Georgia Tech sports. And I believe this is definitely going to be a year that you'll want to be subscribed and following because there's going to be a lot of things to talk about, especially on the football front. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys.